I'm going to take that silence as, as my cue to start. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, I'm Professor Simon Jackman. Um, I run the US Study Center at the University of Sydney in Sydney. <laughs> um, and, and it's always a, a, a great honor and a great privilege to be able to come and, and stage events here in Parliament House, um, which of course, um, as does most of Canberra, um, stand on the traditional lands of the Gunawal people. Um, and Mia, I just want to take a slight moment to explain, and to Jason, your husband, who's on his first 24 hours here in Australia, what, what those words are about. Um, um, that is um, what we call an acknowledgement of country. When I left Australia to go to the United States for my postgraduate study, public events didn't start that way in Australia in the late 80s. But when I came back to Australia in, the, in, the, in, the, in 2015 or so, it had become a way that every public event in Australia started. And depending on where you are in Australia, the form of words will change slightly to reflect the, the names of the, of the, of the, of the local peoples um, where you are. And it's a fantastic way of, of grounding oneself, I, I find. It's still relatively new to me, only having been back in Australia for three or four years. And I often wonder when we have American visitors, as we often do at the United States Study Centre, what, what, what are they talking about? And, and, and what they're talking about is a, a, a reminder um, and, and a way of paying respect to the elders of the, of the local peoples on, on whose land we meet and we give respect to, to elders past, present and emerging. Uh, and it's just a nice way of grounding oneself and uh, reminding oneself of, um, of where you are, of, of country. Um, and and uh, in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people at the University of Sydney and the part of the Aura Nation, the, the group of, 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 of clans that made up uh, the Sydney Basin, um, um, but but that's what that's about, Mia. Um, I'm sure you've heard that a few times now. But that's what that's about. And and for any other American visitors who may be wondering um, what that's about. Um, so look, thank you for coming out so early this morning, um, and and especially uh, to those of you that work in the building, particularly um, uh, uh, Linda. I know uh, if you've been around politics, you know how long and intense sitting days are. And to do an event at this hour of the day, knowing you've got a, a big 12, 13 hour day of legislative activity and, 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 and representing your district ahead of you, uh, we, we're, we're enormously grateful. And the same is true for, for staff and, and other people that work in the building who are with us this morning. Um, look. This is a really exciting um, event for, for me, something I've, I've, I've um, I, I long wanted ever since we had the great privilege of, 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 of Mia uh, joining the Senate. So, so Mia, um, Mia's story is rather remarkable. Um, um, uh, born of um, uh, Haitian uh, immigrants to the United States in, in, in Brooklyn, uh, grew up in Connecticut, uh, and, and, but then her, her career in politics really begins um, in Utah. Uh, in, in local government, first of all, and then serving two terms in the United States House of Representatives as the first black woman Republican uh, in the House of Representatives. Uh, Mia served two terms, and as I expect we'll get to in the conversation, the intersection of, of race and, and politics in the United States, for anybody even with the most casual understanding of American politics and history, 
that is an especially fraught intersection. Um, and and for, for Mia to, to be in that trailblazing role, um, um, uh, the first time a, a black woman uh, has represented uh, 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 the Republican Party in Congress, uh, given the history of that party and, and the state of race relations in the United States of, of enormous historical significance and, and, and the burdens of expectations that fell on me are something I, I imagine we might, we might hear a little bit about over the time we've got together this morning. And of course, with me, uh, we've got the Honourable Linda Burney, uh, the member for Barton, uh, a remarkable story in her own right, which is why we wanted to put these two remarkable women together this morning. Um, uh, Linda's uh, career before coming to the federal parliament, she served for 13 years in the New South Wales parliament. Um, um, and, and indeed, uh, I didn't know this, Linda, um, the first Aboriginal person uh, to be elected to the New South Wales Parliament, which is the oldest parliament uh, in, in Australia, the first of the colonial parliaments before it became um, a state parliament. Um, um, that's just a remarkable um, fact. Uh, about you, Linda, but about New South Wales and Australia, for that matter. Um, and, and, of course, um, and, and more contemporarily, um, uh, Linda is, of course, the first Aboriginal woman to serve in the House of Representatives from, from either side of, of, of politics, of course. Um, and, and Linda, of course, um, with that political career, but before she got into elected office, uh, a long career advancing Indigenous issues going back over, over 30 years, various roles uh, in, in the public service. Um, 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 leading the conversation this not morning. Really, not at all. Look at you. Follow <laughs> such distinguished introductions. <laughs> uh, um, 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 is, is Stephanie uh, Peatling, who is the deputy federal editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and, and the Age, and, and Stephanie, um, uh, graduate from just across the lake at, at ANU, but has worked here in Parliament House for many years herself, and, and extremely well placed, I think, to, to lead. Um, what I expect will be a fascinating conversation between these two trailblazing, <laughs> trailblazing women. Thank you so much for being with us. And um, please welcome Mia and Linda and Stephanie in your hands now. Thank you. Um, I think we're just going to have a bit of a led discussion to start off with, uh, and then there'll be an opportunity for people to ask questions uh, towards the end. So uh, feel free to um, note those down if there's something that we're not covering and you want to ask about uh, later on. There'll be ample opportunity for that. Um, thanks for joining us both today. I feel uh, extremely ill-equipped. I don't have any first next to my name that I can <laughs> claim for my CV. <laughs> Um, I thought maybe we could start, I mean, we've heard Simon's given the introduction about um, uh, listing your achievements and details and so on, but I wondered if you could perhaps start off by saying what motivated both of you to go into politics in the first place. It's such a, such a um, confrontational and adversarial environment. What led you both to move from careers of public service to the other side of public service, I suppose? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I just, I really, um, I would be, um, it would be unfortunate if I didn't mention how grateful I am and how honored I am to be sitting next to Representative Linda Burney. Um, we come from very, very different backgrounds, but the struggles have gotten us to where we are today. Um, I remember when I first met um, uh, President um, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, and she 
as he was kind of pushing us through and getting us through, he was very st incredibly stoic. And she took a moment to say, Mia, is this the first time we're meeting? And I said, yes. And she said, set the bar high. Just set the bar high. I I'm glad you're here. So um, for someone who, uh, you know, I uh, obviously as a Republican going after uh, the president quite a bit on policy, the, taking that moment was really uh, important because there are so many people that paved the way um, and a difficult upbringing or um, I would say more so for my parents could either make or break you. You could either decide to do something with it and um, show your children and the world that the world doesn't revolve around you, that you have to use your gifts or talents. Um, and I guess that's how things started for me. This is not something that I said I wanted to do when I grow up. Um, I had other ideas um, outside of politics, um, but there was a, my, my dad told me um, on the way to college, he said, I don't want you to be a burden to society. You're going to give back. And every opportunity that I've had where somebody gave me said, look, you've got to do this. We need you to do this. Um, I, I heard that voice in my head. And really, that's how I got started in politics. It had something to do with a local um, problem. And they said, Mia, go fix it. And I said, OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Mia. And thank you, Stephanie and Simon. And good morning, everyone. Is my microphone on? Yes. Uh, can I just join with uh, with Simon in recognising Ngunnawal and Nambri country? Um, a good morning to, to Jason. Uh, well, I'm sorry you've been to Sydney Airport four times in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. Um, <laughs> um, and also I'd like to just say thank you everyone for coming so early in the morning and thank you to my parliamentary colleagues that have made the effort as well. And thank you to my staff for making sure that I'm here. <laughs> so, Balam Ambul Nanawal Nambri. I am Waradri, and I am from the Murrumbidja Waradri, which is the southern end of Waradri territory on the Murrumbidja River. Uh, what motivated me? <clears throat> I think um, Mia and I do share so much. Um, I, I, though, didn't come from a very big city. I was born in a tiny country town. In fact, it was so small that you could name every single person in every house, which we regularly did. Um, and I grew up um, under challenging circumstances in many ways. My great aunt and uncle raised me. I didn't meet my father until I was 28 to meet 10 brothers and sisters that I didn't know existed. Such were the laws uh, and the attitudes um, when I was born. Um, I think growing up, I had to become very resilient at a very young age and very self-reliant. And the idea of you can't do this just was not part of my world. Um, and that was a lot to do with the way that I was raised, but it was a lot to do, I think, with my, um, my personality as well. And for me, uh, there, were three, there are three things that motivate, motivated me to go into mainstream politics. I had spent 30 years, as Simon generously said, uh, <laughs> not so generously. Um, I think it was more than 30, actually, Simon. Um, 
really uh, in, in, this, in the Aboriginal struggle, in First Nations struggle, and that was political. Uh, if you're born black in this country, uh, it's political. And, um, and whilst I didn't have a vision that I would end up in mainstream politics, my path led me to that. Um, it led me to becoming the member for Canterbury in 2003, uh, incredibly multicultural community, um, and then uh, progressed me into the federal parliament, which is not the pathway for everyone. But, I mean, I take my hat off to local government. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, you know, the idea of going into a doctor's surgery and someone wanting to talk to you about their garbage yeah, not being collected is <laughs> not my idea of um, mind you, we get lots of ibises and, um, and cracks in the footpath as well. And overhanging trees, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I, for me there were, and I'll finish on this, Stephanie, there were three things that really motivated me to go into mainstream politics. Um, and those three things that motivated me in 2003, uh, 2003, uh, are the same things that motivate me today. And they're not in any particular order. There weren't enough women, there weren't enough Indigenous people, and my entire life had been about social justice and truth-telling. And I saw this as a way to um, do that as mm. well. Um, uh, Simon mentioned the burden of expectation mm. uh, that comes with being a first <laughs> in, any, in any kind of representative position. Um, and I'm interested in this because as a reporter, obviously, we love to seize on people who are firsts because it makes them special and unique, as they are, obviously, when you're, you're going first, you're, you're um, leading the, the trail for other people. But I wondered if you could speak a little bit about what it feels like to to be the first. Um, it comes with great responsibility, obviously, of which you're both mindful. Um, but does it lead you, do you think, to, to conduct yourself in possibly a different way than other people coming into politics might do in terms of people looking up to you and seeing you as leaders for them, whether they're women of colour or women or um, uh, yeah, coming from a different background, given that politics is basically a white man's game? Well, uh, um, there, there are so many different ways to answer that question because it's incredibly multifaceted. A lot of people think that being the first is just, oh my gosh, okay, great, you're breaking the glass ceiling, but there is a lot of responsibility mm. being there. And it's also um, the, the, pay, the, the pathway to get there was incredibly difficult also. Mm. I always felt like I had to work twice as hard. Um, people were... Um, I remember when I got up to speak and somebody said, um, yeah, you got up there and people were surprised because there was this thought that you were not, going to, you were not a great communicator. I don't know why. Um, they'd never really heard me uh, get, get up and talk. And, and every single time after that, it's like people were surprised and you had to find yourself rising to the occasion all the time. The other thing also is that in... Um, uh, the United States, uh, the majority of the country assumes that if you are a black female, you are obviously a Democrat. Mm. Um, and so with that, with that, for me, it, it was, I always got the question, well, why? Why would you, 
why would you do? Why would you be these um, all of these things? And why aren't you a Democrat? Um, uh, the best way I can answer that question is. Uh, th there was a woman that asked me at uh, the University of Chicago once. She said, I don't understand how you could be a black, female, um, Latter-day Saint, um, Republican <laughs> uh, in, in living in Utah in today's America. How does that work? <laughs> and I said, it's because I refuse to fit this mold that society tells me I have to fit into. Imagine if people like Martin Luther King decided to just take that government said he was a second-class citizen we wouldn't be here today. So what I would say is my policies and my thoughts, and I'm all of these things because I don't want people to think the way I do. I want them to preserve the right to be who they are, to think the way they do, to be able to have a voice. Um, and I think that when you have people of color on both sides of the aisle, that's great for the United States. It's great for um, our relationship with other countries. That, that is a good thing. Having that, um, being able to have those dialogues in the different backgrounds um, only increases our uh, sphere of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, of course it comes with responsibility. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important, we've got people like Anne Ali here, first Muslim woman. Um, in the parliament, spectacular, um, and, uh, and gorgeous, by and, the way. and gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was raised by, as I said, my great aunt and uncle, who were born in the 1890s. I'm much older than Mia. Um, and they raised me to be frugal, to be respectful, to never put your back to anyone, uh, to never speak over anyone, uh, to be humble, uh, to be uh, full of grace and uh, to uh, show respect and be kind. And those things, those values have stayed with me my entire life. And those values are important in political dialogue and exchange. Mm. Um, and, you know, Mia and I come from uh, similar backgrounds, very probably quite different politics, but quite similar politics as well. So you shouldn't ever think that just because you're from a particular party that you don't have a lot to share, a lot in common. We've got um, wonderful yeah. independence <laughs> here as well. Uh, so the weight of expectation for me is obviously from the Aboriginal community. But I don't see it as a, as a weight. I see mm. it as a, as a celebration. And... You know, I am very respected. I'm seen as a senior woman moving culturally through. I'll, I'll reach eldership at some point within the Aboriginal context. Um, but I deliberately didn't take the Aboriginal Affairs portfolio until, until just recently. And I did that for the same reasons that me has articulated. 
I was not going to be put into a frame or a box. I was not going to be defined mm -hmm. by, um, by what was expected um, of me, that I was the expert on all things Aboriginal, because I'm certainly not. So it's about how you actually conduct yourself. It's, yeah. about, the w it's about what's made you the person that you are. Um, and uh, I find that within the political sphere, as tough as it is, as hard as it is, if you are respectful, then you get a lot further and a lot more things done mm. than if you're not. Mm. I mean, it, it, I have to just, I have to add on to this because I think that this is the world's problem. These dialogues not happening. Um, the fact that we could be sitting here and just coming in with a mutual respect and a um, an appreciation for our different backgrounds and seeing the similarities in that, I think that that's what mm. the United States is, certainly is missing. It's getting a lot worse. Mm. Um, and I think that there's mutual um, respect that is, that is missing in, in politics. I can guarantee you that if we sat down and we spoke about the relationship between Australia and the United States, we would fa find far more uh, things that we agree on that we can work on together than, um, than and, and do a lot more than focusing on the things that we disagree on. I was, I was going to raise the issue of the divisiveness of politics later, but you've, you've both raised it now, so we might as well go there immediately. Um, it's something that we all talk about these days. It seems to be such a modern phenomenon, whether it's the fault of uh, uh, Fox News in the United States or Sky News in Australia or Twitter or social media or different types of people coming into politics. We seem to be moving to a point in our history where we're unable to look beyond the things that make us different to the things that make us the same. Um, and this process seems to be being accelerated in the past few years to a point where uh, you know, we're almost unable to, to look beyond those things that make us different. I was wondering if you could both um, reflect a little bit on that and uh, maybe look beyond that to some solutions of how we could get past that so we can become a more constructive society, I suppose, both here and America. Elect women. Uh, yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> was a free kick, that one. <laughs> no question that uh, political life is difficult um, and it is full of sacrifice uh, and the people that sacrifice the most are generally your children if you have them and your family because you're away so much and there is so much demand on your time I'm just astounded at young women here in particular and men that have young families. Um, look, I give as good as I get. Um, and I say very genuinely that as a woman in the political arena, you don't emulate anyone. You be yourself. Um, and you allow, allow your own strengths to lead how you conduct yourself. And it's adversarial. That's the nature of the political landscape in Australia. That, that, that is just the Westminster system. Yeah. It's, it's adversarial. And if you go into it thinking that it's not going to be, 
then perhaps you're going into the wrong profession. Uh, but what strikes me is that it is, it is, whether you're from the conservative side, whether you're an independent, or whether you're from um, uh, Labor, you're all there for the same reason. You're there to represent and carry the loves, the hurts, the disappointments, the joys of people that put their trust in you. Um, I don't know about the US, but in Australia, I think it's about 140,000 votes in the electorate of Barton, is that right? Something like that. So it depends on whether you're a city, a regional or a city seat. Um, and your job is to represent those people. And every single day, and this is true, I get up and I remind myself that people are relying on you. People are trusting you. People have put their faith in you. And it's a responsibility. And uh, that's, that's the essence of, of politics. And in terms of the adversarial side of things, um, I mean, you know, Stephanie, you see the parliament fill up when there's a division, or you see the parliament fill up and carry on uh, when there's question time. But at other times, it's not like that. It's people trying to work through legislation that is going to be beneficial uh, for the lives. I disagree with a lot of what uh, the other side of the house does, but I don't underestimate the power of the people. I mean, Mia, you have almost a you have a very unique take on this, don't you? I mean, uh, for those people who aren't aware, although you probably are, um, when Mia was running her uh, campaign at one point, she had a direct intervention from the president on Twitter as votes were being counted. <laughs> I read about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is about as adversarial as I would get, uh, as, as you could get, I imagine. Um, and I know you've spoken a lot about this in the past, Mia, mm. Mia but I wonder if you could just talk uh, about that issue to the audience here. I mean, it would be... I, I can't imagine the Prime Minister of either party, whoever they would be in this country, tweeting uh, as votes were being counted. It wasn't, saying, it was on TV. On it TV, was sorry, it was sorry, you know, X, Y, Z, yeah. you know, wasn't yeah. very nice to me in the campaign, so, you know, <laughs> tough luck, basically, um, which is essentially what happened. Well, you know, I, I think he, so in the grand scheme of things, what I think um, was happening at the time was the President was trying to make a point that those who weren't with him um, weren't weren't really winning. Mm. Um, okay, so here here is the other part uh, of me. I have never allowed somebody else's words to have power over me. Never. Um, as a matter of fact, he could have said quite a bit worse and I would have just said, you know, whatever flaws you have are your flaws. Um, they're, they're not mine. So, but um, what it did, honestly, is, is give me an opportunity to um, represent the kinder, uh, the, the compassionate side of my party. It gave me an opportunity to rise the, to the occasion. You talked about um, the different media out there. You talked about Fox. Um, I'm a, cor a correspondent for um, CNN, a contributor. And I am a conservative voice on, on, on that network. And I think that 
what TV tries to do is um, because they're they're based they're, they're not politicians they're based on like ratings and trying to get a viewership. Um, I think what is most important is for people who are literally representing people. I think the House of Representatives and it's and and mm -hmm. I believe it's the same are is the branch of government that's closest to people. Right? So even if you have your own ideas, your responsibility is to represent those people who've put you there. So um, with that being said, I think it would, um, if we focused on empowering people instead of victimizing them, all of a sudden there's a different, um, there's a different take. Uh, on the attitudes out there. I think that there have been a lot of victimizing, uh, not just, uh, I think it started even with the previous administration in terms of saying, if you don't have this, it's because somebody took it away. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to blame other people. But I think that when you start to empower people, give the, giving them the opportunities to uh, be strong, to um, know that whatever circumstance you're in, I always say in the United States, you should never, there sh should never be this idea that you're predestined to be poor. We have got to make sure that people have an opportunity to g rise to the middle class and beyond if, they, if, they, um, if that's what they, they choose to do. So I think that we have a responsibility as people to one, make sure that we are empowering others, especially representatives, and Two, to make sure that we do not allow other people to allow us to behave poorly. There are a lot of excuses that people could use for the behaviors of politicians and say, you know, they, they made me do this. I, I think it's important for us to be the writers of our own history um, and, and stand up. And, and, and remember what Linda said previously, I don't think it's a bad idea to elect women. I think, I think it's actually a good, a good idea. Um, I, I remember just being thinking of my children, and y y you talked about waking up saying I have a responsibility to people and, and um, I have their, their uh, voices in my head. I remember always saying um, the same thing and saying that I have to make every moment away from my children count. So I was more interested in getting things done than I am, than I was with the fighting mm. or the debate. Mm. Um, there's been, uh, Mayor, you probably aren't aware of this, but um, uh, the Labor Party, of which Linda is a member, has um, taken great steps over the past 20 or 30 years to elect more women to Parliament. There's been a, a quota system in place for a while in order to lift the level of uh, the, the numbers of women in, in federal Parliament. I think it's just hit 50-50 or it's just shy of it. Sorry. 48%, so just, just, just close. I'll round it up. <laughs> um, and they've just made that, that, that milestone uh, at the most recent election. The, the conservative side of politics, the, the Liberal and National Party, have done uh, uh, n not, not as well, shall we say. <laughs> and there's constantly a debate around um, w ways to get more women into Parliament. We're not, I think, the discussion about having people from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, particularly people from Indigenous backgrounds, is, is nowhere near the same level of focus and concentration for us. But I wondered if you could tell us about the debate in America around that. I mean, I imagine being from the Republican Party quotas mm -hmm. is not something that you would be uh, in favour of. But what are the types of discussions that you have there about having people from different backgrounds coming into politics and the best way to get them there? Look, I think I think it's I'm, I c can be honest and open and say that the Republican Party 
party really should and must do a better job reaching out to women and reaching out to communities, um, you can't, it, minority communities. You can't sit there and say, well, our policies are good for everyone, so I'm just going to do that. You have to let people know that you actually care about them in order for them to trust you. Um, you have to get out, and I, I, I don't know, I used to say this to my Republican colleagues all the time, how many of you have actually been in um, government housing? How many have actually gone to uh, and spoken to some families uh, in, that, that are really caught in intergenerational poverty? It's really, it, it's one thing to say, um, you know, the policies, our policies are meant to keep people out of that and, and, um, and uh, our policies should make it so that people in poverty, um, it, it's not, they're, they're not trapped in there and, and um, you make it so that they can, they can find a way to, to get out of it and become independent contributor, contributing members of society. It's another thing to actually go in mm -hmm. and, at, and, and actually speak to people, um, talk back and forth. You, you can't legislate from a seat in Washington and expect people to feel that that you are with them on TV or mm. what, or you know the slam on the on the desk or the um, or the podium that doesn't it doesn't quite work so I am I do believe that we have to, we have to do Republican Party the Republican Party um, really has to do more to reach out to minority communities and the policy is not enough the message is important and the communication is important and um, although um, you know people may agree with me disagree with me in the Republican Party I think that that's really what's missing um, primarily um, in the dialogue that we're having right now um, in in the White House especially it, it's just the you can't make people feel like you dislike them and then have them trust you. Mm. That it, it just doesn't, it, it won't work. Mm. Um, Linda, I wanted to uh, also ask if we could have an update on the uh, constitutional <sighs> referendum issue. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there's a debate here at the moment about recognising uh, Indigenous Australians in the Constitution. Um, yeah. It's uh, well overdue, uh, shamefully overdue. Um, it's basically bogged down in process, I think is probably the uh, fairest way of describing it at this point in time. Um, there's a debate around uh, the timing of when we will have this vote, um, whether or not uh, um, both sides of politics should support the wording before we can possibly even put the vote to the people. Uh, there's all manner of um, uh, issues that are being discussed at the moment. But I was wondering, Linda, if we could sure. um, have an update from you on of that, course. given I think the latest we've heard was the <laughs> Minister for Indigenous Affairs saying last week he did want to have a referendum, I think, by the next federal election, which is less than three years away um, and seems to be a fairly ambitious timetable, I think. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, just on the previous question, we've got Annika here, who was part of the wonderful group of women that came into our party in uh, in May this year. So uh, we are at forty eight percent. I think if one of you put on weight a bit, maybe we could get you up to fifty percent. She's playing net, netball at six a.m. this morning. I don't think it's going to be her. Um, look, everyone, just. Without labouring the point, um, I think the question of constitutional recognition of First Nations people or a voice for First Nations people into our constitution 
is the actual moral question for, mm. for, for the 46th Parliament. Yep. Mm. Um, I really and truly do. And I wish we had a Prime Minister that thought that as well. Um, so where it's at, it's, it's a really interesting juncture. So the Labor Party, and I'm not being by, by a partisan, I'm not being partisan here. In fact, I'm trying to be bipartisan. Um, the Labor Party uh, uh, embraces the Uluru Statement in full, and I think you all know when I, when I say the Uluru Statement, which uh, says three things. That the First Nations people want an enshrined uh, voice in the Australian Constitution, uh, uh, there should be a Makarata Commission established to pursue the issue of treaty making. Um, and the third point is a national process of truth telling. So that is what the party that I'm a part of has um, embraced. Uh, the conservative side of politics is saying at the moment uh, that they will have a legislated voice not an enshrined voice in the Constitution, but a legislated voice for First Nations people and a referendum on recognition of First Nations people within the Constitution. Um, and the issue of treaty making and the issue of truth telling has completely fallen off the agenda. So they're two different positions. Mm -hmm. Uh, what the government will do, though, is that they are about to embark on a co-design process. And what the Labor Party um, has said is that we will be informed by the co-design process. If First Nations people say, well, there's two things that First Nations people could say. The first is um, we want it's, it's an enshrined voice in the Constitution or nothing. And we've got nothing now, so, you know. Um, or they will say, uh, we will accept a legislated body, providing it moves towards some sort of uh, enshrinement or, or, per or permanency. So the issue at the nub of this is, an, is a permanent body of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders advising this parliament. Um, and that's, that's the nub of it. It's, you'll hear lots of things, but the nub of it is, this, is permanency or something that a, the parliament of the day cannot dismiss because we are still burnt very much by the, dismiss, by the dismissal of at six some 20 or 25 years ago. That's still burnt into uh, the, the soul of, of Indigenous Australia. So we um, are at a juncture of... In my view, if things don't start immediately in terms of the design of a voice or whatever the constitutional issue is, that we will lose it for this term of government. Mm. And that would be a great shame, not only for Aboriginal Australia, but for the whole country. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to read Linda's watch upside down, which I think is telling me that we are on to the time for the Q&As now. I've got lots more questions, but I, I won't hog the microphone. Um, uh, who, would, who would like to start? Who, who has some questions that we could uh, start off with? Oh, I feel like the speaker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do I need to introduce myself as well? Oh, yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Hello, Annika Wells, member for Lily. Um, on the topic of quotas and changing the culture of politics so that more women feel or are encouraged to get in, I was wondering what your thoughts were, now we've got you in the country, about um, how that's going in America because our side of politics is doing very well and I think we have a really good supportive group of women. Like I, I'm a new parliamentarian, I'm the youngest woman in the house, I'm, I've got women I can go to. Right. When I talk to my friends on the other side of the house from the Conservatives, they say that they find things tougher when our side is very bolshy about how progressive we are and how we support women. So I was wondering, given you've got the squad in US politics, mm -hmm. how does the emergence of the squad and the celebration of the squad, how is that received on your side and does that make things more difficult for you and for women in, on your side trying to get people involved? Um, well, first of all, uh, this, I don't think the squad makes a difference in terms of getting women involved. I think that um, it, it has, um, the, the politics side of it has moved a little bit further to the left on that. And, and that's also caused the other side to move a little bit further to the right. Mm. So we've got this big gap in the middle where people used to actually have conversation. I was the only Republican member in the Congressional Black Caucus. And I think that, I, I, let me first of all say, I'm not sad about the loss um, of, the, of the seat. I'm more upset about the work that was actually being done and the fact that um, I was a voice in the Republican conference that represented the Congressional mm. Black Caucus, which is supposed to be, it, which made it even more bipartisan. It's supposed to be nonpartisan, but it really made it nonpartisan. Mm. There is there is not that weave um, of uh, different people on different sides of the aisle for the same cause right now. So on the women's side of it, I think that um, Democrats do a better job in recruiting. I think there are three steps. Recruiting, um, during the recruitment, support, uh, advising, and helping during the process, and three, keeping women. Um, on the Republican side, we are very good at recruiting women because there are a lot of women out there, Lee Stefanik, who I was uh, a member of Congress with, has gone out and actually recruited really good women. The problem is um, we, the uh, party does not support women through the process, and when women are there, they don't keep women very well in the process. So what I mean by that is there was a bill that I wanted to introduce, along with a lot of really important other bills, but there was one that was over-the-counter contraceptives. Um, that I felt was incredibly important, especially when we we're talking about healthcare. Also, um, you may agree or disagree with where I am on this issue, but um, I felt like it was important. I'm a pro-lifer. I felt like it was important for me to give women the choice before they have to make the choice between keeping a life and ending a life. Giving, empowering, again, women to make healthcare, their own healthcare decisions before they get to the point where they have to, they have to make those very difficult decisions. The, the biggest problem I had were Republican men in stopping that bill. It didn't make any sense to me. So um, it was very difficult because we have a lot of women that carry very important bills. Um, 
that I think, again, the communicator is important. Mm. I got uh, some support on the other side of the aisle, and that was that was difficult. In all, um, I, in terms of recruiting, I had some great people. Uh, uh, Paul Ryan, uh, former Speaker of the House, that really that was really helpful to me. Um, I had Kevin McCarthy, Eric Cantor, um, some really good people that were incredibly supportive. I've got some great friends that are there. Are we doing enough on the broad end of it? No. And I think it's also something that um, women don't get up and stand in front of the mirror and say, you know, I'm going to run for Congress today. I'm really good at this. You know, I'm, I think that this is, we've got so much. It takes a lot of convincing. It really does. Um, I hear women all the time say, I just, I don't know, I don't have enough experience. Well, shoot, if you run a successful household, you have enough experience. And in the United States, women run the economy. Um, they, they take their kids to, to school. They're the ones taking them to the doctor's office. Ask my husband, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but it, it, of course you're experienced enough. Um, and and um, you just have to get in there. And if you're not standing up, if you're not making your voice heard, women, Especially if you're not standing up, if you're not making your voice heard, if you are not running, someone else is someone else inferior to you is, is going to do it for you. <laughs> someone is going to fill that vacuum. Can I just make a yeah, comment please. on that, just really briefly? Um, so I, I think the reason that the labour side of politics, politics in Australia has done so well in terms of um, uh, getting women into parliament um, is because uh, it was incremental. It did, this this mm. thing didn't happen didn't overnight. Happen overnight. Yeah. It was, uh, I remember, remember the late Joan Kerner and, em and then we've got Emily's List. I think Emily's mm -hmm. List is in uh, America as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and we've also built into... Um, the Labor Party platform and practices systemic rep representation mm -hmm. of women, and the quota system is really important. And it's it's not it's it's about um, uh, women standing for pre-selection, mm -hmm. um, identifying women, and when you've got a bulk of women within the caucus, then the issues are it, it's just normal, it's natural, mm. um, and you know even down to your local branch levels, there has to be a certain number of women in leadership positions. So it's right, it's systemic, it's right through the party and in the party rules, mm. and that does make mm. an enormous mm. difference. Uh, I'll just jump in there, Mayor. Obviously, the, the party organisation system is very different in America, but how important is the issue of getting more women into, into Congress and the it, White it, House for, it, it, for, it, for the Republican Party? I and think has it been made more difficult by President Trump? Well, I think in order for the Republican Party to survive, I think it's important to... We had, we had actually a, a decent number of women in, in Congress um, the previous, uh, in the 115th Congress, we're in the 116th right now, we lost over half of the women, mm -hmm. Republican women. And it's for several reasons of what I've talked about today. One is making sure that we are giving women um, the voice on issues that they can message and relate to uh, people um, on. And two, 
uh, when when women are weakened, it makes it easier for the other party to come in and target mm. um, that. There's also this, uh, gosh, there isn't, in, in the United States, there isn't really um, anyone more that the political parties, and what I mean, it, uh, I'm talking about like the DCCC. Um, I got along very well with the Democrat uh, women and congressional members very well. Um, in Congress, and we worked really well with each other. But when I'm talking about the political parties, they there isn't anyone that they dislike more than a Republican black woman, um, <laughs> because it's just like, oh wait, 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 wait a minute, we just. But it's that's more about who holds power than it is about policy. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I want to say it's it's to our detriment. We almost sit in the position and in the mess that we're in because. We had uh, a great examples. We had 42. When I first started, we had 20 members in the Climate Solutions Caucus. By the time um, my job was tried to, to try and recruit as many Republicans as possible, um, by the time uh, we were at the end of 2018, we had 42 uh, Republican members in the Climate Solutions Caucus. Those people, we have seven now. They're gone. They get scooped up and, and um, they get targeted. Mm -hmm. So uh, we almost have to look and see what issues are important to us. Mm. And um, there's also this saying not to let perfect be the enemy of a really good win. I'm gonna be watching today to see, <laughs> to see what happens. But um, you know, it, it is a progress mm -hmm. and it, it is a process. And obviously um, I'm hoping that I'm not, I may be the first black female Republican um, there isn't one right now, and I hope that I'm not the only one in the, uh, in the future. I think that that would be tragic. Mm. Sorry, I jumped back in there. So, uh, sorry, uh, who was next with the questions from the floor? Can you put your hands up so we can see you and give you a microphone, please? Surely there must be some questions from the floor. Oh, you've got more, great, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, Thank you, Mia and Linda. This is a fascinating conversation. Um, the, the notion of respect in everyday life and in politics. Um, I work in a male-dominated environment, and I hear and I witness often women being talked over when they try to give an expert opinion, you know, but while the men are speaking, you know, everyone is listening. Uh, we also know in the Australian Parliament, Sarah Henson Young, you know, how she's been treated um, in terms of her sexuality. And, and so it can get very vicious and very personal. Um, but also what I've observed is often women who have achieved power can also be really mean or mm. not very supportive towards other women. Hmm. Um, would you be happy to comment on your own observation? Linda, do you have any <laughs> observations? <laughs> um, thank you. Um, this is what you're describing does happen. Um, just because you're a woman in a senior position doesn't mean you support other women. Um, but I do think it's... I do think that that's changing. And, you know, you just don't put up with that crap. <laughs> you just don't. I don't. Um, and I, I always say to, I speak to a lot of young women, and that's why I say, yeah, be yourself, understand how you were made, um, and 
you know, never forget, ever, that you rest on the shoulders of others and that you now have a responsibility to allow your shoulders, um, to give your shoulders for others to rest on. That is, that is my way of, of doing things. I, I agree with you, that's not everyone's way, but it's how you conduct yourself. You're not going to change necessarily other people, mm -hmm. but you, as long as you conduct yourself um, in the way that's honourable, I think that's what's important. Yeah. I tell my kids, don't look at anybody else's Twitter account. Look at my Twitter account. <laughs> I mean, um, but, you know, I, I do think you're right. There are a lot of... Uh, uh, my problem, I, I believe, in, in my state, and although we changed that quite a bit, it was a process to change that. We had a hard time with the uh, with a lot of the women vote. We, women are incredibly uh, traditional, uh, for the most part, in, in the state of Utah. Um, we have a lot of women that choose to stay home and um, take care of their families, and um, and and that's really important. So it's sometimes it's difficult. Um, for a woman who cannot see herself going there to send another woman mm. there. I got mm. a lot of, how, how does your husband feel about this? I got a lot of, um, how like are your children? children? <laughs> yeah, how are your children? But what they don't, what, what I've had to um, articulate, and like I said, thank goodness, I have a husband that has been so incredibly supportive and um, it's just, we, our whole family, has been on this journey. It wasn't just my journey; it was our whole family's mm. journey. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really quite um, lucky to have such a such a great, uh, great support there. I, I think that that makes a difference. And um, also, one of the things my children have learned is they get to use their gifts and their talents for the betterment of society. And there's no better way to do that than by seeing a parent go out and do it. I mean, you can say whatever you want to to children. Mm. You can say whatever you want to um, to 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 people that are that are looking um, that are that are hearing us. But there is not a better example than actually seeing a woman like Linda represent um, a, a a group of. Um, just a, a people that, that really need that voice desperately. Mm. There is no more powerful message than seeing these women stand up and say, I believe in something and I'm going to articulate that. That is what provokes other young kids and young women to do that and start to support each other. Can I just finish? I know we've yeah, got go to finish for it. up. No, no, go for it. Um, we're nearly, nearly at the end of our discussion. But, you know, when I think about my life, um, if it not had not been for the women in my life, I would not be able to stand up. And it's about n nurturing those relationships, keeping them close to you, um, seeing how precious they are, and realising that, as I said, I'm much older than me, but um, that the responsibility I carry, I carry as a woman. And that is a big responsibility. It's an important responsibility. And it's a responsibility to make sure that you support other women. I can't quite see the time. Do we have time for one more question? One more? One more? 
Oh, okay, we might have to wrap up. Well, I, I, I will say thank you very much thank to Linda you. and Mia yeah. for their time, and then I think Simon's going to do a final word of thanks. <laughs> Is that right? I will, I will briefly wrap up, too. Thank you. <laughs> we'll um, all briefly wrap up. Linda, thank you, Mia. Thank you, Stephanie. That was um, as remarkable as I expected it would be. Thank you. Oh, does thank that still you. make oh it remarkable? Gosh, I'm, I'm but, inspired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and thank you again, everybody, for, for, for coming out this morning. Um, at the US Study Centre, um, we're acutely aware um, that the, the politics of First Nations peoples um, are not the politics of, of African Americans or Haitian Americans or, or Black America more broadly. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I think the, the conversation this morning um, revealed, I think, as, as, as both Mia and Linda um, said uh, at alternate occasions, uh, there's more that unites us than divides us. And I think in particular, the conversation at the end that really focused on, on your role, not as bearers of your, of your respective races and ethnicities, but as bearers of, of, um, of, of, of women in politics. Um, that, that particularly resonated for me on, on that score. And thank you for, for sharing. And thank you for reining the conversation there, everybody. Uh, and, and thank you um, to everybody, particularly our members uh, of the House. Uh, great to see you here this morning. Thank you for, for helping us with the event this morning. Thanks, everybody. Thank Enjoy you. your day. Thank you.